Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I am Danny Lurie, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. My guest is Matt Moore of the Action Network and Spread the Ford podcast. Long time. I mean, almost everybody listening to this podcast will be familiar with Matt. Of course, he's been on this show as well. And I wanted to have him on because the Western Conference playoff picture in particular is absolutely fascinating right now. And we spend a lot of time talking about that. We also discussed, he wrote a fascinating piece for Action Network about the prospect of the revenues in gambling should that become more available to the NBA and how that could affect the salary cap and things like that. We talked about that and then the Eastern Conference playoff picture as well and a little bit on soup because why not? Podcast runs about an hour and it's brought to you by BetDSI. They're going to do their million dollar bracket challenge and you can get a 200% member bonus and more bracket entries using the promo code MADGM, M-A-D-G-M. And then our friends at TrueCar, a place that you can buy new and used cars. As I said, podcast runs a little bit over an hour. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much for coming on. Glad to be here. I wanted to have you on because even well, a couple days ago when we started talking about doing this, the Western Conference playoff picture was was getting tighter. And now after the events of Thursday night, we're recording this on Friday morning, there's now a three and a half game margin between third and ninth in the Western Conference. You are based very close to one of the teams that is central in that, Denver, who just got Paul Millsap back. And of course, everybody comes through there as well. And I think where we should start here is just how are you feeling about this picture and what is your inkling right now? Because I don't think any of us can be super confident on how this is going to play out. Yeah, I don't remember a time I've been doing playoff picture. I started on March 1st in terms of I I earnestly start tracking everything. I build out tiebreakers, et cetera, uh, magic number sheets. I don't remember a year that I've done this where I've really been like, I don't know if the team in third I can absolutely say is going to make the playoffs. I don't remember that at all. Like fifth, okay, yeah, there's usually some drop-off there, even fourth. But we're talking three through ten. And the fact that the the 10th team at the same time can legitimately make it, given Utah's complete yogurt schedule, is absurd. Like, it's just crazy how close every single game, every night, we're going to see matchups between these squads, and we're going to see team. We're going to see games every night that you absolutely have to win because you need to win the teams versus the tough opponents because you have to try and knock them down to climb up, obviously. But you also have to win those th- those games versus the weak opponents because you cannot afford to drop a game that you should win. The Thunder are playing Phoenix, and usually it's like, well, if they lose to the Phoenix, like, ah, who cares? No, it's like, look, that could be the difference. That could wind up being the difference between Paul George resigning with your franchise or you being missing the playoffs with Mellow, PG-13, and and Westbrook. So I think it's crazy. My intuitions are I don't like where the Clippers are at. Their tiebreaker scenarios are all very poor. Their closing schedule is very difficult. I talked to one of the people that works with them this week, and they kept mentioning the fact that like having to go east for some of these games is really problematic. They're not just playing in Pacific and, and Mountain Time. They've got to go to Central and East Coast time, and those those trips late in the season can really mess you up. I don't like where the Clippers are at. I'm not as confident in the Jazz as a lot of people seem to be. Everyone just kind of looks at it and goes, oh, they have an easy schedule and they're playing great, so they're fine. Well, they dropped two of three coming out of the All-Star break, and then if you look at it, their tiebreaker scenarios are decent but not flawless, and I don't necessarily trust them to win all those games versus the weak opponents. I just don't – they they have a, a one of the poorer records amongst the playoff teams versus teams under 500. Uh, I think Denver's vulnerable. I think OKC's vulnerable. I think Minnesota's in a pretty good spot. And I have no idea about San Antonio and Portland and New Orleans. Those are the three that I just do not know how the rest of this is going to go for them. One quick note on the Jazz, which is pretty insane just with all this. So we're recording, as I said, on Friday morning. By Saturday night, they could have closed a game and a half on this because they play Minnesota. Minnesota will be on a back-to-back on Friday night, and then they play Sacramento on Saturday. Yes, that is a back-to-back, but Sacramento, you know, they're they're a little bit less competitive than, than the teams in this part of the race. So you have that. I, I mean, for me, I think we're... I, I look first beyond the, the tiebreakers, though those are exceedingly important. 
is injuries. And so for Minnesota, they have this really weird schedule where they have a bunch of bad teams and a bunch of really good teams. And so that would have been tough even with Jimmy Butler, because when you're playing, I think they have they have a, a series or, you know, they have a couple of those games against top five teams in sequence, and those are always hard. But they're going to have challenges against middle-of-the-road teams as well without without Butler. He's such an important part of their success. For Dunked On, I was uh, prepping for the, our awards podcast and was looking at just like how important Jimmy Butler has been for them this year. And the other reason, and this is something I've gotten into with Giannis and a couple of the other guys with weird MVP arguments, not necessarily to win, but to be on the ballot, is that there isn't a, a really good replacement. And that's why I'm concerned about the Wolves for them. They did play well in the first three quarters of that game, but got rushed in the fourth. And that could very well happen with more frequency here. They have the talent to win. Towns is amazing. They have, you know, Taj Gibson, uh, Taj, of course, Wiggins, if he can step up. But game in, game out, you're going to need consistency to win enough games to get in the right place here. Yeah, and their record versus teams under 500 isn't superb either. So they just kind of had a hodgepodge of random ones. A lot of it comes down to Minnesota built up a lot of equity by their early season performance. Not only did they did they secure those tiebreakers that I'm so obsessed with, but it also it helped knock down the teams behind them, right? So it kept them above the fray. So now they're in a position where they're up. They're only up two in the loss column, but they have a little bit of built-in equity to be able – if they dip and then recover, they're okay. Because, look, look, that that Jazz game back-to-back is tough. If they win that one, obviously, it's a huge opportunity, right? Like, that knocks Utah way, way back in the race, which if you start, you know, bleeding off, helps you considerably. They're going to lose the Celtics and Warriors. That's pretty much a guarantee. Uh, but then, like, Wizards, Spurs – yeah, they face the Rockets in there too, but Clippers, Knicks, these are games that they can win. They're not going to win all of them, but they can win enough of them. And then it, it, it may be a case, I think, where they dip down and then maybe recover. And that, I think, is going to be the, the thing to kind of watch is how they recover, when Butler gets back, how all of that goes, and if they find answers. Because part of it is the longer you play without a guy, the more you're, you're able to kind of find some answers. It's harder, I think, in the beginning, uh, even though there's kind of a rush of, all right, next man up. I think Butler was so important for them, they put them in a little bit different position where they weren't able to just be like, all right, next man up, you know, find an answer because there's nobody that can really step in and do what he does for them. Um, I think that they're vulnerable. Like that, that's the thing is is that even though they're in third, I'm not like, oh, they're definitely going to make it. No, like there's a very real chance that Minnesota misses the playoffs entirely or falls down to eighth or or anywhere in there. But uh, when I look at, at their opportunities to pick up wins in, in certain places, I, I very much like it. Uh, and I think that that's going to set them up pretty well. And look, you know, looming on the schedule is April 11th, their last game of the season versus the Denver Nuggets. Like that may wind up being the one that like if they if they slide off and they wind up in, in fighting for a playoff spot. That game versus Denver could be absolutely crucial. They face Denver twice between April 5th and April 11th. Wow. Yeah, that could be huge. And we don't know where if Butler is going to be available for one or both of those games where that's going to be. And you brought up the kind of one of the important points that I want to make in the kind of the beginning of this conversation, or at least early on in the Western conference, there's a huge difference between being in the top half of this group in any spot and being in the bottom half of this group in any spot, because yes, making the playoffs for all of these teams is substantially better than not making the playoffs. All of them want to do it. It isn't like this, Oh, increase your lottery odds or anything like that. But finishing 7th or 8th, considering the Rockets and Warriors are looking there, as long as those two teams are healthy at the end of the season, that's certainly a whole lot better than missing the playoffs. But when you're thinking about your expectations and where all this is going, it certainly puts a damper on it. So you're happy, but you're not thrilled. I think it's contextual. So like... um if New Orleans makes it versus the seven or eight, they're pretty happy. We made, we're back in the playoffs. We were really starting to cruise with Cousins. Um, we got some big wins, but look, we lost to Marcus Cousins and Anthony Davis couldn't sustain. That I think gives you a little bit of hope that, hey, we can re-sign Cousins. Um, we cleared off Oshik off the cap. Maybe we can make some moves and get this thing into a better position going forward. I think they feel good. Denver is, is pretty much okay with a seven or eight. They don't want Houston. Uh, like specifically, if they wind up in 
if let's say if Houston winds up the two seed, which I'm kind of expecting as I look at the schedule, if Houston winds up as a two seed and Denver's in seven, I would not be shocked to see if Denver can lose a game and drop to eighth without sacrificing playoff. If they if they've clinched a spot, I wouldn't be shocked to see them drop down one. But they're fine with with, with facing either one. Portland though. You know, Portland would be going on three straight years of you beat the Clippers because they got hurt, hurt and then you lose in the second round to superior teams in no time at all. I, I don't think that they want to go into a, a seven or eight. Like they need to get into the the three through through six range. That's where they need to be. Three, four, five, six is where Portland needs to be. The Thunder are in the same deal. Like if OKC faces Golden State or Houston and they lose in short order, that's pretty humiliating. Given how much they were supposed to be contenders coming in, everything that's gone on to lose to Houston for the second straight year, to lose to Harden for the second straight year, that's tough. If you lose to the Warriors, you're losing to KD. Like that's a really bad spot for them as well. Um, I think San Antonio at this point is just like we don't like whatever, man. Like I think they're just like nihilists. They've given up. I, I feel like that team is honestly giving up a lot of hope. If they get Kawhi back. Maybe they can make a run, but for them, I don't think necessarily that they're looking at seeding. I think that they're just trying to survive with how rough it's been for them this season, how many things have gone wrong. And in the middle of that, you know, the Clippers and Jazz just need to get in. Uh, I think that they have to be happy with a playoff appearance at all, given how their season has gone. But, you know, Portland, Minnesota, if Minnesota goes down to seven or eight, I mean, that's it's weird because Minnesota would have made the playoffs for the first time since 2004. And yet there would be a little bit of a stink on it, I think, just because they had such great positioning, you know, going into the first of the year. And they had, as you said, so many banked wins. And they, they, I think when Butler got hurt, they only had 20 games left, which is a big help because it just gives you a, a little bit shorter area to fall. And part of why I've been just absolutely captivated by this and will be presumably at least for the next couple of weeks, because it's going to take some time to sort out, it might even take the whole rest of the year, is because... Some of these teams I can't really get a handle on. I mean, Oklahoma City, they've had some of the best wins over the last little while. That game in February where they just stomped the Warriors a second straight time was amazingly impressive. I mean, they they were they did exactly what the theory of this Oklahoma City team is. They defended incredibly well. Russell Westbrook in that first quarter was electrifying. And then they have games. I think they, they lost with Russ to the Lakers shortly thereafter. And then a couple days ago, they nearly lost to the Dallas Mavericks. And yeah, Dallas is feisty for a bottom eight team, but they're not great. And right. OKC, and so their, their consistency is a little bit more dumbfounding because yes, they're missing Andre Robertson, but they have so much talent. Yeah, that's kind of been their their thing all year. I I felt like they kind of found it right when Roberts had gotten hurt. They they worked past it. They were ready to go. Uh, and now I think without Robertson, it just their structural underpinnings of their defense fall apart very quickly. There are nights when they can just you know absolutely pound you into the ground like it's a bar fight. But there are nights where they just can't get a hold of you. They just can't quite grasp onto you to lock you down the way that they need to because their offense is still it's better it's efficient but it's not explosive dynamic you know it, it's not one of the better units in the league even with that much firepower um it's pretty basic in, in how it functions and that's going to be the way it is with westbrook you're not going to have super complex mechanisms with a, a, a guard that dom ball dominant but I, I don't have a lot of confidence in their ability to make a, a postseason run without Robertson. I just think that he was that essential for them. Uh, they had lost a lot of games early on in the year versus teams that were mediocre. They've got one of the worst records in the league versus teams under, or amongst the playoff teams versus teams un, under 500, along with Minnesota, actually. Um, and yeah, the consistency is weird. I have a little bit more confidence in them because so many of those guys are playoff veterans that I feel like they can kind of get together. But I do feel like Minnesota, like they're in a really weird spot and that you know, honestly, losing Mella would have been so much better for them than losing Robertson. Like, you don't want to lose either guy, obviously, but losing Robertson, it struck, it took out a structural function of their core identity, which I don't think is as replaceable as Mello or Patterson or any of the other guys, really. Like, the order of importance for me would be, you know, it's honestly number one is Paul George, two is Westbrook. Three is Steven Adams, and then is four is Robertson. So um, they haven't been able to find somebody to, to step up and fill that that void, and I think that that's a, a real problem for them, and it will be going down the stretch and potentially in the playoffs. In the playoffs, it's huge because it gives them – it ensures that their defensive identity is not going to be as consistent. They certainly can put it together. They have for a couple of games since Robertson got out, but that true swarming, recovering element – 
is going to be missing just because you're replacing Robertson with a player who is not nearly as good on that end as he is. And yeah, they're more capable on the other end. But also now Melo takes on a larger role. And the story of the playoffs, especially in the, the more recent time as we have more advanced video analysis and coaches that are dedicated, advanced scouts, is that players with severe weaknesses get exploited. And that can occur on both ends of the floor. Robertson himself was an example of this. And we are at this point, a month and a half away from Carmelo Anthony, probably being one of those guys, assuming the Thunder makes the playoffs, because he is a dangerous combination of limited kind of defensive tools at this point, just because he doesn't move as well as he used to and all that. And limited so far this season, effort, caring, all of that kind of stuff. And you could say, like has been in a compatriot, Dwayne Wade, who has some apathy in the regular season defensively, that that element of it, it will turn around for Melo, but he just doesn't have the tools in place that Wade did to really make that a turnaround. I think he can get up to maybe like competence, but I still think you attack him as aggressively as you can because OKC's other points, other than maybe Russell Westbrook's attentiveness off the ball, are a lot harder to attack than Melo is, so you go after the weak link. Yeah, and it's weird because it's one of the credits, I think, to Golden State system in particular in in that I I see a lot of teams that struggle when they try and attack weaknesses. Like, they're not able to take advantage of mismatches. Like, when when you get a small guy on a a bigger guard and that guard's trying to post up, like, it just never really seems to work out. Or even on switches with a big versus a small, like, going in the post just doesn't work anymore at all. Uh, even when you have size advantage, it just hasn't been shown to be consistently something that you, you can you can do. I mean, even I would say even San Antonio, with as well as Aldridge played to close that series last year, you know when they switched James Harden onto him and Ryan Anderson, I thought too, like they did a good job versus Aldridge, and it was really Jonathan Simmons that kind of won that series. But when you have a liability in pick and roll coverage, when you have a liability in defensive awareness, uh, when you have a liability in in being able to follow around screens, those are the areas where I think you get you know in the most trouble. We see the offenses that are dynamic be able to adjust to where they can run their system, but target specifically whatever that weak link is is trying to defend. Uh, and it's often not kind of in the in-your-face, like, one-on-one coverage. It's exploiting them for open looks, and, and that's where I think it gets – it compounds the problem even more because those are fundamental breakdowns that lead to high-percentage shots. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I'm excited to see if that idea is, is right. And it re- part of the reason why, even though there can be high-stakes regular season games, that it happens so much more in the playoffs is because of the way preparation and adjustments change. Because in, in the regular season, yeah, you can have an idea of the other team's opponent, but you're flying around, teams get very little practice. Sometimes that gets people lose sight of that, it's just how few times NBA teams practice during the season. But in the playoffs, you get a little bit more time and you're playing the same team. So you, you and the stakes are so high. So all of those things are going to matter. And there are a lot of things that Oklahoma City does that I really love. I think especially the, the, the Westbrook Adams pick and roll, some of the ways they can get back. The ability that they've done to have Adams crash the offensive glass and periodically opportunistically everybody else, but still get back and transition defense is something that I want to see more often from almost every team and very few can pull it off, but they have been able to. And that will work though teams often get a little bit more assertive defensive rebounding in the playoffs. So yeah, where they fit in with all of this is going to be huge. And then, I mean, Portland's really been stepping up. I've been, I've been happy with what they've been doing and they started the year out fabulous on offense and shaky on, or sorry, fabulous on defense, shaky on offense. And then now that's kind of both of those edges have toned down a little bit. But I think part of what they're benefiting from is that the field is coming back to them with Minnesota, San Antonio having these injuries, Oklahoma City, of course, as well, having these injuries. And they've stayed pretty healthy, which incidentally, though they're in a better seating right now than they were before, is sort of something that's happened the last couple of years. Yeah. I think they've benefited a lot from that. They've managed to uh, – one thing I, I've noticed that Portland's done, they've managed to avoid kind of those dagger losses. Like they don't have those nights where it's like, oh, you really needed that one or you couldn't afford to drop that one. Like that was really bad. 
they've managed to avoid a lot of those. They typically they lose to teams that they're at the same level at or who are better than them, and then they beat everybody else. And that's that's huge. Like that consistency, I've been saying it all along. You know, everyone wants to rave about San Antonio, and it's weird because I'm like, it's a credit to them. But at this point, I'm not as impressed with the Spurs because I'm kind of like, they've really just proven that if you play disciplined, consistent basketball. You will beat the Orlando Magics and Sacramento Kings of the world. And there are always going to be enough Orlando Magics and Sacramento Kings in the NBA across the board to get you to a point where your win total is high enough. Like that, that's the reality is like you can put together a formula for regular season success to get a win profile to get you there. Like San Antonio's 13 and 21 versus teams over 500. And yet they were in the third seed until just this last week. Like that to me shows you more than anything that look, there's a way to game the system for you to pick up those wins. With Portland, you know, I think it's huge that they've developed a consistency. I'm still worried because I just feel like their offense is so pedestrian. It's such a slog. Uh, Minnesota had control of that game last night and just lost the rope. And that's like the benefit of CJ and Dame is those two guys can just go off for you know a five minute stretch. And all of a sudden the game turns like an eight point lead is a four point deficit. And that's big. I'm not necessarily sold on how they're going to be in a playoff environment defensively as good as they've been this year. Uh, and I worry about their offense slogging down. So like, I've got a lot of concerns about their playoff chances to advance, but I do very much like their chances to make the playoffs because of their consistency, because of where they've been. A lot of that's just going to come down to can they beat the good teams in their division that they've kind of gone about 500 versus those teams in this bracket that they're going to play a lot over these remaining five weeks. Like, you know, can they take care of, can they, can they handle OKC? Can they get wins versus the Pelicans? Can they get wins versus Denver? These are the teams that they're going to need to beat if they want to make the playoffs. It, they don't need to be taken on Golden State. They don't need to pick up a win versus Boston. They need to handle business versus teams like Detroit and then pretty much just split with those teams like New Orleans, Denver, and OKC. If they do that, they'll be in a great position to make the playoffs. Yeah, that, that's a great point, and it's something worth watching going forward. Matt and I still have a lot to talk about, but first, a message from BetDSI. It's that time of year again. March Madness takes over, and with it, NCAA Bracketology is game on. The BetDSI Million Dollar Bracket Challenge is right around the corner, and you can win big this NCAA basketball season. Compete head-to-head in the BetDSI Bracket Challenge for your chance to take home guaranteed prizes and a chance to win $1 million. It's going to be a really fun year. I will definitely participate in the challenge. Hopefully going to also watch the conference tournaments as a way of preparing for that and also, of course, getting ready for the NBA draft. So you can kind of do all that in one bit if you're more of an NBA fan, if you're a college fan. You don't need me to sell you on the the engagement in March there. And BetDSI is a wonderful place to do it. They've been in business for more than 20 years, top rated on review sites, and it's extremely important to have fast, reliable payment of winnings. And that's something that BetDSI is is strong in. They have built a reputation over the years with that, and it's essential in the business they're in. They also have an easy-to-use, fast-playing interface. And if you're interested, you can bet games as they go. So you can get in-game wagering options if you feel like you have a better sense of it. At that point, now and throughout the tournament, you can make plays through entire games and events. They have customer service. And you can get a free bracket entry, and a $25 NCAA tournament bet just for registering, plus a 200% member bonus and more bracket contest entries on your first deposit if you use the promo code MADGM. Don't sit on the sidelines this March Madness. Again, use the promo code MADGM, M-A-D-G-M, to get all those bonuses, including the 200% member bonus, which is fabulous, and more bracket contest entries. BetDSI, MADGM promo code. Check it out. Is there anything else in the West you want to talk about where Denver is and where they're going? Yeah, we should do that before we move on. Yeah, I mean, I just think Denver, I said this morning, I think is a, I've said this for uh, about the last 10 days. I think they're a coin flip. They've gotten some huge wins which reinforce against all the bad losses they've picked up. The schedule stretch was was really murderous because it was, you know, they faced Houston twice, San Antonio twice. They faced uh, Portland and, and all of these teams over and over and over again. And the loss of the Clippers was pretty devastating. Uh, it dropped them back in the ninth for about a day until the Clippers lost to the Rockets. They're trying to reintegrate Millsap on the fly, and that that's still... We have one game to base it on, but the Jokic Millsap minutes were just—it was so clunky. That was one of the weird things—is like—is like trying to figure it out that like when they were cooking, they were playing so well 
but Malone also knew like we've got to play better defense. If we don't play better defense, we're just not going to be able to beat the teams in our schedule. Um, and he's right, and they're good defensively with Millsap on the floor, but offensively, Jokic disappears. So they they can't. Denver has has I think the highest ceiling of any of the teams three through through ten. I really believe that that if they can get the offense clicking and Millsap shores up the defense with how they've improved with um, removing Emmanuel Moody and adding, adding Devin Harris, even though he was bad the other night, that formula to me means they have a higher regular season ceiling than any of those squads. But they have to get everything working in harmony, and because when they don't, they're hugely susceptible to lose to any team. I won't say this on Twitter. I won't write about it because being in Denver is just like, oh, you're a homer. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not a Denver fan. I've never been a Denver fan. I moved here four years ago. But like realistically, the Clippers game was a fluke. It was the Boban Mar- Marjanovic annual game. Like it's it's nice that he gets a game a year where he makes this huge impact so he can remain like a mascot for the league. But even Doc after the game was like, yeah, I don't know if we can ever play him that many minutes again. Like he just can't do it. But they had to get that win and and, and the Nuggets could not figure out a scheme to counter him. But as Millsap gets back up to full strength, they'll have these opportunities, but Denver's going to have to earn it. They're the team that I don't think their schedule or formula or win profile or injuries or anything else, nothing's coming to help them. They're going to have to earn it. And that, I think, is really tough. The Clippers, I just don't believe in. I just think that their win schedule is really brutal. They don't have a good tiebreaker scenario. I don't like their schedule. They've got a huge, they've, I think they have four remaining back-to-backs. They have the most rest disadvantage games. Everything about the Clippers roster and schedule leads me to think that they're, they're probably, uh, pretty weak. And then Utah, uh, like I said, it'd be in the beginning. I'm just, I'm skeptical of everyone saying like, well, they play all these bad teams. Yeah, but Utah's not great versus bad teams. So we're going to see. To me, it's a coin flip between Denver and Utah for the eighth spot. It's also really significant to me that it sounds like Avery Bradley's issues are going to persist because he's he gives them an, an element. Yeah, Wallace has been nice for them on and, and a wonderful story, but Avery Bradley can be a uh, really effective guard, and they're missing Patrick Beverly, so the more depth they can have in the rotation there. And they are, as always, an if-healthy team. I think they need a lot of these guys to be there. And yes, their depth pieces have been better than I expected and they've, I mean, Harrell has had a really nice year. I think that's been under the radar to a point, but he's done a nice job there. And their guard rotation, when it's been at this level of full strength, has been solid, but they're going to need it and they're going to need those guys to stick around. So, yeah, I, I think at this point, they're looking like they're going to be on the outside looking in. But the the other team, when you're talking about ceiling, I mean, to me, I, I haven't seen Denver's offense look regularly good with Millsap and Jokic together. It is a conceptual ceiling that I think is, is relevant. And Millsap was, in the first half of the game against the Clippers, was very good defensively. He was impactful. He did all that. Lost some steam in the second half. I don't know if that was stamina or just facing the wrong guy or however that went. But they do have that potential, I think, in terms of ceiling. God, I mean, OKC's a weird one to use there. And then the elephant in the room for this entire thing is what the heck is going on with Kawhi Leonard? Because he is, you know, if he can be 100% at any point, even if that is one week before the end of the season, they are a completely changed team. And they've already sorted out almost all the dynamics because this team is almost all holdovers with him, other than maybe some stuff with DeJounte Murray. But they've even gone with some of that as well. Yeah, if Kawhi comes back, it changes the whole the whole thing. Um, because San Antonio right now is honestly like they're vulnerable. They're extremely vulnerable. They're a team that can lose on any given night to any team that's above five hundred, and they're going to play most of those teams the rest of the way. But if Kawhi comes back, it's like oh man, look out! But I mean, I think even then, I'll, I'll say this: like Kawhi's absence really put into stark relief just how low on firepower this team is. They just don't have a lot of weapons. And it's admirable that Aldridge was able to carry them, guide himself an all-star appearance. Congratulations. But, like, I I don't know. I I really don't know. Like, if you're outside of the mystique, right? Like, oh, you're facing the Spurs and Pop and, oh, man. How many teams are legitimately scared of San Antonio in in a playoff series? If they're the third seed or the fourth seed, I don't know how many teams are legitimately scared. The Wolves, I think, are one of the most vulnerable teams in the playoffs, even when Butler's back, because of their they have so many issues defending the three, defending transition and putting up three pointers to be able to keep pace. 
But even Minnesota, I feel like, could walk into a series of San Antonio and be like, all right, we can win a slugfest. Like, this is one that we could win. I, I, I don't want to say that San Antonio is going to lose in the first round, even with Kawhi. It's just, if you remember last year, you know, Memphis kind of had the best of them for a while in that series. And it just kind of came down to San Antonio having home court and a little bit more talent. And then if you go in the second round, like Houston realistically should have won that series. You know, they let that slip out of their fingers. They were, they, they gave, they, they, blew a huge lead in that game five and then didn't emotionally recover for game six. Uh, all these things are contextual and, and those winning those games is what makes the Spurs the Spurs. They won't be an easy out. I just don't know how that's the other thing is I would kind of wonder like, look, would it be better if San Antonio made the like kind of drop down and got another pick to add themselves some talent? Like I'm not saying they need to, but longer term, especially with what you have, if you're able to like fix the relationship with Kawhi and get everything back, like you're in a pretty good spot if you're able to add another pick. I don't know what like I'm not sure what a first round series win versus Portland does for you. I guess you can feel like we beat Houston last year, we can beat him again, but I don't know. I I just don't know really where San Antonio is going at this point. I worry a lot about their offense against good teams and their offense in games once teams can do the adjustments. We talked about that with OKC. And firepower is a good word for it because they just don't have that many ways to create I like to talk about it as creating seams and then maximizing those seams. And so mm, yeah. cer- certain teams are, are really good at, at maximizing. Certain teams are really good at creating the best. The Rockets and Warriors among them are great at both. And that's what makes the team special. San Antonio has a pretty solid group of guys who can hit open shots and do all that kind of stuff to, to maximize the, the shots that are created. And they, through their system, create more than almost any other team does through their system. However, Tony Parker aging the way he has... Manu not playing that many minutes. Kawhi is just a different type of guy. He can do that at moments. I think in the Memphis series, he did some of that offensively, which is important. Lamarcus can too. But when you think about the amount of possessions that you need to generate good looks in a series against any of these teams, they're just they're not getting the meat and potatoes other than if they force a bunch of turnovers that way. And then the system will help, but they, they just have all these problems outside of that. So I'm not going to write them off. I mean, that Rocket series is going to stick with me for a long time for both of those teams. Houston absolutely should have won it. They, I mean, they absolutely at very least should have won game six. I mean, yep. that, and you know, that stain is going to be on James Harden for me for a long time. And yes, he was presumably fatigued because of the long season and everything like that, but everyone's tired. <laughs> everyone's really tired. And that's part of what separates it. it. And it's not like they had made this slew of long, long postseason runs into the NBA finals. They made the conference finals once. So you don't get the cumulative part of it in the same way. And you can always overcome that. Players do all the time. They have a big playoff failing and they're a star and they come back and they're stronger the next time. But you sit there and go, but if that if that series hadn't gone the way it was, I think I would be feeling very different about the Spurs. And then the rational part of my brain goes, that doesn't make any sense. Like that series was anomalous in, in so many ways, but I can't fully shake it. Yeah, I think it's tough, right? You want to remind me of? It remind me of 2010 uh, with LeBron where very clearly there was something wrong with his elbow. Like, everyone was just like, something's wrong with that elbow. Like, he's just not, like, he's not the same guy. And he never admitted it. Like, he never copped that that elbow injury. And that opened the door for his departure, honestly, with, with losing to the Celtics. But, like, that's what it reminded me of Harden, where I've dug and dug and dug. I've asked everyone I could get my hands on. I've asked, like, okay, did he have a concussion after getting hit in the head in Game 5? Like, was he, you know, was he banged up? Was there something going on? Was it the, the ankle? Like, what? And everyone's like, he says he's fine. Like, he said he was okay. He said he just lost it. And, you know, I think part of that's, like, not everybody gets to be Steph Curry. And, like, you just, like, well, even then, like, Steph, I think, struggled his first year in the in, in the playoffs and has never really had, like, Steph's never really had, like, a super dominant playoff run. Even in the finals, like, he's just never had, like, a, a hyper-dominant run. It's just the team's just won all the time. But most guys that are, as when they're so dependent on one star, like, they have this period. Like, Dame, right? Like, Dame's had series where he struggled. And um, this has happened with a bunch of guys where you, you kind of learn that. I think part of it was when, when they announced Kawhi was out for game six, I immediately turned to the writers that were in that room and said, the Spurs are winning this game because San Antonio is the best at rallying around when a guy is down. Like they just understand how to do it better than anybody else. Everybody on that team is always so prepared 
Um, and Pop deserves a lot of credit because honestly, I've been critical through the years of Pop's playoff tactics are actually a little overstated. He tends to be like, this is our team. This is what we do. I'm not going to change it. And we're just going to play the odds. Like, this is what's got us here and we're going to roll it. He doesn't make huge changes. Um, and even versus that Rocket series, remember, like, uh, he started off with Powell and that didn't work. So we went to David Lee and that didn't, he, they won, but he didn't love how those lineups look. So we went back to Powell. Like, he went back to the double big lineup to close out that series, but he just gave Jonathan Simmons a lot more minutes of, at point forward. And mixed it in there. So, like, he, he kind of did a mix of both. But I thought that adjustment was really huge for them. But all of these things kind of combined. And with Houston this year, it's like, look, that's a reality, right? It's like everything has to go kind of their way. And I will say this is the quiet injury is much bigger than San Antonio or bigger than anything that, that Houston faced. And Tony Parker went down as well. So, again, like, they should have won that game six. Absolutely. But losing the Nay against the Spurs, I mean, when Capella got in foul trouble, they were playing Ryan Anderson at five because – MDA just would not go to Harrell. Like him shortening that rotation was devastating, which is one of the reasons that them stocking up the way that they have this year and them having so much depth to where even if a guy gets injured, MDA won't have any excuse to not play a deeper rotation and get guys more rest. All of those things make me feel a little bit better about Houston in that regard. But you're right. Like until he kind of proves that, I feel the same way about Demar Derozan. Uh, even though I, I've, I said I thought Derozan was second in MVP a week ago, and then I think Anthony Davis has leaped him now. You know, I, I think the way that Demar has changed this season is phenomenal, and it shows his sacrifice and commitment to winning. But I'm just not going to get over that 0 of 8 game versus the Bucks last year. Like they won that series, and I'm just like, no, I cannot go with you when you're. It's like it's a two or it's a a, a tied. It's one one or whatever, and you blow that. Like no, you can go 0 and 8. I can't. I can't go there. Um, so I'm in the same place where DeRozan has to prove it to me, and I think you're right. Like Harden's clutch time performances have never been great. They're just not. Like I'm not sure that D'Antoni's system is good for it. I don't know that that Harden's game is good for it. We haven't seen Harden really take over in clutch time of a of a of a huge game that often. So that's these are things that they have to check off the boxes if they want to make a real run this year. On the Harden point, I mean, in certain ways, their biggest series win in his career was that one over the Clippers with the crazy comeback. He was not a part of that crazy comeback. Like, you know, that that was a game that got out of hand. It wasn't, it wasn't, that was Josh Smith hitting crazy shots. It was a bunch of other things. I think he was technically on the floor for a small part of it. I don't remember exactly, but I remember that it wasn't a Harden-led thing. It was more just everything else that happened. Yeah, so I think I've been tracking that really quietly because that was one of the things when I did the MVP breakdown last year, even though I voted for Harden, you know, I looked at it and really did say, I was like, you know, I was like, Harden's clutch time doesn't really stack up with Westbrook's or LeBron's or Kawhi's. Like, he just hasn't been that good. They've been good. The team, Houston, has been good this year in the clutch. Um, I think that's significant, but they don't have that many wins versus, like, you don't have those signature moments. Where he's kind of done that. So, you know, these are things where we're still kind of waiting to see if Harden can be that guy. And maybe Chris Paul is the secret that unlocks that for him. But these are the things that they're going to have to figure out. Before we move on, I have a quick message from TrueCar. Here are some useful car tips you might not be aware of. A coffee filter and a little bit of olive oil can clean your interior. Removing excess weight from your car will improve gas mileage. And you can place your key fob to your chin to increase its range. Weird, right? Well, here's another tip you might not know about. TrueCar also helps people get used cars. That's right, TrueCar isn't just for buying new cars. With their certified dealer network and nationwide inventory of nearly 1 million used cars, you'll enjoy real pricing on actual inventory and a simpler buying experience, whether you buy new or used. And with TrueCar, users can see what others paid, so they know if they're getting a good deal before buying. They're also more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience by connecting with TrueCar certified dealers. When you're ready to buy a new car or a used car, check out TrueCar and enjoy a more convenient car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. Something you and I discussed a little bit at All Star, and I'm really thrilled that your piece came out before we have our conversation, is for you wrote about the potential income slash BRI. BRI is what factors in for the salary cap impact of the NBA getting a, a a part, you know, the 1% integrity fee, whatever it ends up being, 
of the potential gambling gambling surge that comes in here. And it's something that I admittedly don't know a ton about because it's just it's it's not my part of it. But it could end up being the next big story in terms of this kind of the structure of the league. Yeah, and so there's a lot of ways that this works out, and I <laughs> I'll say. I, I took it to the furthest extreme for, this, for the, the purposes of the story because I needed to get eyeballs on it. And so the real interesting thing is to, is to imagine like, look, when you factor how much is already spent on, on – how much is wagered on gambling both legally in the states that allow it uh, and really just sports betting is just Nevada and then internationally and then in the U.S. on offshore books, which is essentially illegal, when you factor in all of those things – and you open up that revenue stream and you, and you know the league is, is looking after a 1%. And then you look at the fact that if this becomes normalized and there's no longer the stigma on it. One thing I heard at Sloan that really caught me was uh, there was a woman on one of the panels with my boss, Chad Millman. And uh, she works for Sports Radar and they own Bet Radar, which tracks all the data for the leagues overseas. And one thing she didn't mention was there's huge, huge sponsorship opportunities here. Like the bookmakers will invest tens and hundreds of millions of dollars in sponsorship opportunities with the league in order to foster and grow relationships. We saw, we've seen it already, honestly, with DraftKings and the relationship that it has with a bunch of teams. All of these things create sources of revenue. The other thing is the, the landscape is so much different than it would have been 10 years ago because of smartphones. The ability for you to be in your seat, because I mean, this is a secret, right? The NBA has said, like, well, we don't actually support gambling. Just if it's going to happen, we want to be able to have it be in the best way possible. We're realists about it. It's coming. This is where we see it going. But the league also knows this, which is that they're getting 1% of every wager. And you open up the opportunity for you to be in your seat at an NBA game using a licensed carrier and be able to bet, you know what, I think LeBron's going to just absolutely turn on the fourth quarter. I'm putting however much down on him to score over 10 points in the fourth quarter. The the sheer numbers available with online mobile betting, we're talking we are talking billions and potentially more than like a great number of billions. Now I looked at it and like in order to create the 26 the the jump that occurred in 2016, there would have to be 114 billion dollars generated in a single year through NBA gambling. That doesn't seem likely. Like that number is astronomical compared to the figures that we have. The problem is we just don't know how the market's going to react. We don't know what what's going to happen. We don't know how media companies are going to react. If you have a fantasy product and you have the ability to get people and people are using your app, if you're a Bleacher Report or ESPN or wherever, and you can do things that aren't necessarily gambling, gambling, but are like it, like DFS, and the league gets a share of that, and then you look at, okay, if it becomes legalized here, that means the NBA has more of an opportunity to legally accept funds from those overseas. Like China, there are billions of dollars in wagers being made overseas in China through illicit markets. If all of that comes to light and is being used and the NBA gets a share of that and that goes into BRI, like the realistic scenario is that you could probably see in 2019 and 2020 an extra 1 million, maybe 2 million. Like that's a reasonable scenario that could occur in the salary cap. What's relevant there is if you add in these little margin additions, we're talking about stuff like instead of I talked about Anthony Davis to the Warriors, but that's like a 20, you know, 16 million dollar jump or whatever. If we're talking about on the small scale in this little thing, that's the difference between Danny Ainge having to trade Avery Bradley to make room for Gordon Hayward and not. These little tick-offs make it easier for you to accommodate room. It means that there's just a little bit more room for every team to be able to create space. It means the Lakers could conceivably have a couple extra million in order to make space in 2019. So there are all these ramifications that I could see coming down the pipe because it's very likely that it's not very likely. It's at least remotely possible to expect it in some legal circles that the Supreme Court's going to rule in favor of Christie and Christie versus NCAA. And at that point, uh, if they if they strike down the amateur and professional and amateur sports protection act. Uh, that's going to open up the door for all of these states to make 
their own bills for sports betting. And then the, and then Congress is going to look at this and go like, look, we have to have a federal law because otherwise we're going to have way too many court cases like tying up stuff and way too many issues with interstate commerce because the interstate commerce acts part of this too. We need to make a national bill. And if that gets through, then the NBA is going to be a position to mandate that 1% fee on top of whatever else other ways that they find. And they will. The NBA will find other ways to get their cut of this money. And it's only going to grow revenue even more. Like the NBA becomes a much more popular product if all of a sudden betting is legal. So there's all of these ways that revenue goes up if sports betting is legalized. And I'm, I don't know what the outcome is going to be, but I think the question of that is really fascinating from a how is this going to impact the league standpoint. It was always going to be that if there was a nether spike, it was going to be from a very different kind of revenue because television, that's at least for right now, it looks like that's tapped out. The television deal the NBA got looks like it, it's good at the, at this moment. So, it had to be something else, and ads on jerseys was never going to be enough, though it has outstripped expectations, and it'll be interesting to see how that is how that comes in with BRI and everything else like that because I from what I recall the ad the the lowest ad sales like for for I think it was the Kings is about where they thought the average would be so then that'll that'll kick it up a little bit but not every team has ads this year so that'll balance it out so a new source of revenue makes a lot of sense doing it that way and gambling is is big business I think the scale of it is, is is pretty awe-inspiring, and the fact that the NBA could in, encourage and incorporate new ways of doing it, especially if it can be, as you said, the in-person stuff could be big, and you could do, if you wanted to, depending on what partners they wanted to use, they would probably do some in-arena-only stuff as well, which would be fun. Yeah. So then you can do the competitiveness, like you could do versions of DFS stuff, you could do versions of gambling, where it's just the people in the arena, and if they wanted to, you you could be like, oh, the person in, you know, section 115, row five, they thought that it was going to be this, and I think it's going to be that, and, and you can go in that direction too, which from an engagement standpoint would be pretty incredible, and I think that's a product that s- some people would enjoy quite a bit. And with technology now, as I understand it, they could make it uh, do with, with geographic, with GPS and things like that, they could limit it to people actually in the arena. So yeah, that would be fascinating if they could go in those directions too where it's like you get a special product that's only available when you're here and we know in various things if there's something people like to do and you can only do it in a narrow place they're going to a do it a lot and b they're going to get to that place more often if they can yeah and and that's you know and you get them in the building because they're like yeah i'm gonna go and watch the game and you know do a little betting here and there or whatever gaming system that they have and then it's uh, and I'm gonna get a soda, uh, and I'm gonna get some popcorn, and I'm gonna buy a t-shirt, and like, and, 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 you're increasing ticket sales, like all of this stuff, like, adds up. That's the thing, is it makes the, the, the product even stronger. The league, from what I've been, been kind of told and understand, the owners understand that the next media deal is going to be less. It's not gonna be the same. Cord cutters, like the ESPN deal is already pretty much like catastrophic for ESPN, given where their demographics are going. Now, I think ESPN is going to figure out ways to recoup that, especially with ESPN now launching and all these things. Like they're going to figure out ways to recover. But the next deal won't be that. So the owners know, like, we got to get out ahead of this and find different streams. That's why they're invested in esports. That's why I think they're positioning themselves the way that they are with gambling. Like they're finding ways to get themselves involved and keep people involved in the game in ways that opens up additional revenue streams. Cause that's one of the things that technology is really opening is all of these kind of u- ubiquitous ways to get dollars from your consumers and not just media deals and ticket sales. Like there's all this other revenue that they're going to be in a position to capitalize on. And it's really fascinating. And look, there's going to be opposition. There's going to be a lot of people that don't feel comfortable with it. That's why I think the NBA is very cautious. And with the, the idea of kind of the kiosk that you were talking about where it's in game, I think whether it's it's on mobile or at kiosk, like the league, well, I think we'll probably try and position it as a different type of product. They'll just be able to use the same mechanisms. I don't know what that's going to look like, but it's going to be very interesting. And then, you know, like I said, like the DFS implications are huge too. And there's just all of these things that are going to open the door. And the minute that this gets legalized, Silicon Valley is going to pounce on it. And everyone's going to have an app and everyone's going to have a different way of doing things. And there's going to be a lot of innovation on this end for a market that's been relatively stagnant over the last you know, 60 years. There's going to be a lot of innovation from this. And look, the casino makers have patents on dozens of ideas 
and they're going to take full full advantage of those as well. Like, there's just a lot of ways that this could wind up being fascinating. I don't know if it's going to be a $114 billion business, but I think it's going to be a, a huge money across the board for the NBA. Yeah, it, it could absolutely be a game changer. And it will also take some time. I mean, there will there will be elements of this. And you, you brought up the Silicon Valley angle of this. I mean, if there's a, a, a space that A, there's money in, and B, there's room for innovation, they will get after it. And also, anecdotally, just from some of my experiences, there are a lot of people there that are interested in both of the elements of this, like the sports part and, and probably the gambling part of it. So you have these confluence where you get a, you, you always get in innovation in, in a space that's open that's interesting. But if it's something that people potentially, in especially in the brass, are passionate about, then that gets it to a totally different level. Yeah, and... I have a hard time kind of forecasting what it's going to look like, especially because like there's a lot of legal hurdles. Like we talked about, like I mean, the Interstate Commerce Act is something Jeff Ma brought up at, at Sloan, and that's a relevant factor as well. There's there's all of these ways in which the league is going to have to figure out what space it operates in. The league is going to have to convince bookmakers to give it. Like they're going to have to convince legislators and 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 the, they're going to have to negotiate that deal, and we'll see what kind of percentage they get on all this money wagered and how the league goes about getting its cut of all this, which they will. That's been one of the fascinating kind of miniature battles that's already popped up. When ESPN first reported on that, on the, the state legislature talk that suggested the 1% fee, immediately you started hearing pushback from the bookmakers saying that's too much. You'll cut into, you know, it's going to cut way too much into our revenue. It's going to actually have all these impacts on the gambler. You know, it's going to inflate the, we have to take higher bigs, et cetera, et cetera. Like this is a massive deal. And then Silver at, at his press conference at All-Star smacked that back down, basically being like, look, you're making money on our content. 1% is not too much to ask, essentially. And the, the league's very, very, in my opinion, reasonable point that, look, this has to remain above board or the game's over for everybody. The first major scandal that we get is going to significantly hurt the game, the product, and could wind up you know, costing everyone all this money. So we need enforcement. We need monitoring. We need uh, personnel. We need staffing. It's going to cost us a lot of money to manage this. That's all going to be a part of this. Um, so there are these fights that have to be negotiated. There's a lot of stuff that, that has to get ironed out. But it, when people ask me, like, well, why are you so confident that it's going to go in this direction? My response is because the social norms have shifted dramatically in the last 20 years about gambling, which opens the door for this. And most importantly, there's way more money now. And <laughs> the 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 impulses will always follow the money. You are completely right on that point. And do you have enough time to talk about the East a little bit? Yeah, let's do it. So we spend a lot of time on the West and, and how close all of those teams are. Well, in the Eastern Conference, between the three seed, which is currently the Cleveland Cavaliers, and the seven seed, which is currently the Milwaukee Bucks, three games. So it's a similar picture. The difference, though, are the incentives because, A, I expect all of the eight teams that are currently in to be in barring a significant injury, and B, being the seven or eight seed in the in the East is not the same as the West. While Toronto is playing wonderfully and the Celtics still have the league's best defense, they don't have the aura because they aren't as good as the Rockets and the Warriors are. Yeah, I think Detroit is the only thing that can kind of mess this up. There are only two back in the loss column from Miami, and they're only five back from the fifth seed. I've got playoff picture going up today on Action Network, and my my locks are Toronto and Boston. My near locks are Cleveland and Washington. Actually, near lock is, is only Washington. I put Cleveland in the lock section just because they've got too big of a gap. I'm not ready. I don't feel good enough about Indiana, Milwaukee, Miami to say that Detroit's out. So I think there's a nine-team race. I think you're right that there's a lot of openness. Like, you know, Toronto, until they win game one, a single game one, we're all kind of be like, mm, we'll see. Like, I love Toronto this season. Like, I love the way that they play. They've got the best bench. They've got the best balance. DeRozan's played amazing. Uh, I love Jonas Valanciunas shooting threes. I love uh, the way Jakob Pertl has played. I love Fred Van Vliet. Like, there's all of these things about this team I really, really like. We'll see. Like, until they prove it, I'm not going to feel confident. And Boston, I think, is vulnerable as well because we've just seen too often Brad Stevens' teams get in there and it's like, oh, these guys just tried really hard in the regular season. They're actually not that good. 
And Boston's offense is bad. Like it's just repulsively bad. I think they're 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 not I wouldn't like I don't think they're gonna lose in the first round. I don't know that they're gonna lose in the second, but they're at least vulnerable. So if you're you know, if you're Milwaukee and you're going into a a, a two seven matchup with Boston, you look at that and you're like, Okay, like you know, <laughs> we feel pretty good about this. Like we can beat this team. We can beat this team. Uh, I think Philadelphia, same way. I think Philadelphia is the team that they're the one I look at and I go, I, I don't want any part of them. One through four, whoever is there, I don't want any part of Philly. I do not want a team that is young, that has veterans like JJ Redick to be able to provide advice, that is too young to know better, to know that they're overmatched, that has never been there, but has so much athleticism and has matchup advantages like Embiid. I don't want any part of Philly. They've played awesome since January 1st. Like, I'm worried, I, I would be worried about Washington, Cleveland, Boston, and Toronto in a first round series with Philly. I would pick those teams to beat them based off of the experience factor, but man, I, I am, I'm really, I do not want any part of those squads. Um, it's going to be fascinating to see kind of who separates themselves. Can Milwaukee get it together? Can Indiana ride itself? Because I think they're starting to tail off pretty significantly, especially Oladipo with his shooting splits. I keep looking at Washington and being like, they, they can make a run. Like Washington is a team that's, that's lying in the weeds. They had all that hype early in the season, and then they fell apart and got hammered for it. The, if they can figure out, if John Wall comes back and looks more like himself last year, and if they run more of what they've been running in offensively the last three weeks, they're a really dangerous playoff team. The East is wide open this year in a way that I don't really know how to sort out. The one that I'm looking at, and I don't think that Washington is necessarily a good matchup against Boston, just specifically, but if they can get to the three and and have that have that role but also i i mean they could be interesting against toronto i mean there are a lot of a lot of different possibilities here and i think that's what makes the east so different is that the the bottom teams i think are more competitive against the top teams and then there's so much matchup specific stuff like i think there are a lot of these teams obviously that don't want to face cleveland but then you know if the sixers face basically any team and i mean they beat cleveland on thursday so you you could always go in that direction and the Cavs are going to have to defend a whole lot better than they have even after after the the trade deadline to to be relevant here and so i think that i'm going to enjoy the playoff race in the west a lot more but i think i'm going to enjoy the first round of the playoffs depending on a couple of potential matchups in the west i think i'm going to enjoy the first round of the playoffs themselves better than the east yeah i think that there's a lot of there's a lot of compelling storylines. There's a lot of stars. There's a lot of, you know, can like, cause part of it is we're, we're kind of waiting to see, you know, who is going to make that jump, right? Like, does MB come in and just like, holy cow, like he, you know, he's just dropping 30 and 15 every game. Uh, does Giannis go on like a 2006, 2007 LeBron run where it's like, nope, he's just peeling through everybody. Like nobody can stop him whatsoever. Uh, does Toronto have one of those years where, Kind of like Dallas in 2011, don't win the title, but like, hey, like, look, they were the best team throughout the regular season. Like, they were a really good, good team, and they just won. Like, what if that happens? You know, and with Boston, it's like, look, they've they've got great defense and Kyrie Irving. That's a playoff formula that can work. And of course, you know, I think no one's really like excited for it, but there's also kind of the prospect of like, hey, look. LeBron's still LeBron, and if he decides that he's going to do his thing and that Cavs team gets together and plays like they did versus Boston in that first game, wow, like, look out. Like, the only team I, I think in the, that you're really, like, that I, the only team I feel like in the East that I just am, I am totally underwhelmed by are Miami and Detroit. Those are the two teams where I'm like, okay, well, we'll just kind of, can we just sim through those? Like, if it's Miami-Toronto, let's go ahead and stick that one on NBA TV and be on our way. I would be interested in Miami's defense, especially on the perimeter versus Toronto, but I think that interest would only last a game or two unless they win one of those first two. So then right. at, at that point, but again, that's also because I find almost every series interesting. So I think the way that I want to end this, and I might just end up doing this for podcasts from here on out for a little while, is we'll exclude Warriors Rockets because I think for a lot of us, and you can say if you disagree with that, is the series we most want to see. But in whatever round, what is the series you most, playoff series you most want to see in the East and the playoff series you most want to see in the West? I most want to see Washington Cleveland. I think that the Wizards are a team that legitimately should spook Cleveland a little bit. They've, I think they split the season series, or at least they took one of the games, maybe in 2-1. They've got a history with them, which is ridiculous, but Cleveland's seriously vulnerable. And I want to see Otto Porter versus LeBron, and I want to see you know Wall with what he can do. 
I want to see they've got a little bit better depth. Like I love the idea of Thomas Sadoransky versus those young dudes on the Cleveland backcourt. I very much think that that Washington Cleveland is a, a truly fascinating series of like heavy hitters with lots of stars. That's a genuinely compelling series. I'd also say Toronto Boston. Like I, I I'm excited for pretty much anybody Philadelphia plays, but Toronto Boston is the other one. Just that has potential to get so mean, so ugly, and be so good every game. I'm really excited about the prospect of that. Those two, like the, if it's if the top seeds win in the East, which I think is unlikely, I think we're going to see some sort of upset. Uh, but if all the four top seeds win in the East, that second round is going to be dope. I'm excited for that. In the West, I'm interested. I think if Denver were to go on a run because they play some some lottery teams, they got a seven game road uh, road trip in March. But if they come out of this and they somehow surge up and we get a 3-6 or 4-5 Minnesota-Denver, that's really fascinating to me. With Towns versus Jokic and, you know, Millsap and Butler really having no kind of, no one to guard him on that on, on Denver, but Denver having so much more offensive firepower, like that could be a really fun up and down crazy series. I would very much like to see that. I think that's exciting. Um, and then beyond that, uh, I really like the idea of, of New Orleans versus pretty much anybody. Like New Orleans is the Philadelphia to me uh, of the West, even without Cousins, just because I've been kind of high on them all year. I think that that team is, is better fundamentally than we've kind of expected, which is why they've won seven in a row despite Cousins being out. Um, I love Drew Holiday. I think Anthony Davis. Like they have guys that can step up. There's a formula there. I can I can see that can really cause some mayhem. Uh, but I think everyone you're like I I'm totally with you that everyone's looking at Houston, Golden State, and wondering like, hey, can Houston actually do this? Yeah, I think that's really where where it is for right now is that one. But I, I liked a lot of the ideas that you said. My top one in each conference, excluding Warriors Rockets, is different than yours, but they they're kind of along similar lines. So for me right now, number one in the East. And it'll probably be this way throughout is Cavs Bucks because I feel the need to see Giannis versus LeBron at least once in a playoff series. And I have no idea if LeBron's going to stay in the East. So I want to see it at least once before this all goes away. And this would be a great year for it because Giannis has really ascended and LeBron is remarkably holding on. So if those two can go at it this year, I don't care what round, I don't care anything. I just want to see that series. And then in the West, it was maybe more intriguing when Robertson was still healthy, but Wolves Thunder has been the one for me because now with Robertson out, it's probably going to be Paul George and Jimmy Butler just going to war for as many games as it takes. And then all these other weird matchups like Steven Adams and Carl Anthony Towns, like two guys that are both excellent in very, very different ways. And the attacking of those different teams, you also have coaches, you know, like Tibbs hasn't really been in that kind of a situation in a little while. I mean, of course, the Bulls made the playoffs when he was the coach there. And then Billy Donovan, I see this as a meaningfully different Thunder team than the ones that he's led to the playoffs the last couple of years. So you have rotational questions with all that. And so that series is just captivating to me because individually, lots to look at. And then collectively, two teams that I've had a little bit of trouble getting a handle on all year, but have sky high ceilings and pretty low floors is really exciting. Yeah, I think that 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 matchup is is really compelling. It would have been great with Robertson. I think I'm really skeptical on the Wolves. I just the math problem I think is going to be so huge for them, where so many teams are able to hit more threes. But OKC is a team that can go really, really into a drought. Um, that can be a really tough matchup, I think, for for both teams. It would just be an absolute slobber knocker. Anything else you feel like we definitely need to discuss? Um, what soup would you throw at, at your assistant coach? Oh man. Yeah, that is a that is a very new question I have not considered. I am oh, this is going to get into the HP email thread. I am not a soup fan personally. Ugh. So I'll say this: like I, I cook for my family, like I am the cook of of the house, and my wife's vegetarian, but she also hates salad. So Oof. I, yeah, 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 you're limited in options. Okay, yeah. So like soup is the one thing I found that she'll consistently eat, my kids will consistently eat, and that I enjoy. And I'm just saying, like I live in in Denver, so a cold day. In, in January or February where it's snowing out and you make a nice bowl of like potato leek soup with chives and a big hunk of bread. Like that's a fantastic meal. And I challenge anybody to, to have my potato leek soup or my harvest vegetable 
and not be just blown away by how delicious it is. Like soup gets really underrated when we talk about them as, as meal options. There are some fantastic soups out there. My argument is that most people that feel that soup is not a meal just have simply never had the right soup. I think that is a very fair point. I, I've had some great soups that I did really enjoy. But to answer your question, if I was really pissed off, I think I'd go with something tomato-based because then it might stain their clothing, which is douchey. But if I was mad enough to throw soup at somebody, I think I'd be yeah. in that mood. Yeah, Simmons mentioned, like, asked, like, like split pea. I, I would just, if someone threw split pea on me, I would just start vomiting. Like, I would just start throwing <laughs> up. That's just so disgusting. The other one I think I would say is actually like a Mexican tortilla would be pretty gross. A Mexican tortilla soup is would would be would be pretty rough from that aspect. If you want to do the most damage though, I actually will advocate for potato leak. It creates little pockets of bubbles of heat inside the inside the soup that are really hot. You could do serious damage with a with a bowl of potato leak. There is no way whatsoever that I can top that. So I will thank you for taking the time. <laughs> it has been a pleasure. Thanks, Danny. Thanks again to Matt Moore for taking the time to come on. You can read him at Action Network. You can also listen to the Spread the Floor podcast, and you can follow him on Twitter at HP Basketball. H-P-B-A-S-K-E-T-B-A-L-L. I know how to spell basketball. Love having Matt on and his perspective. Uh, I also, he does such good work on the playoff picture in particular that, you know, knowing what games, and it's interesting because we focus on different stuff. He talks, and it's a, it's a really good point in terms of how they teams fare against teams over and under 500. I have have put together some schedule stuff which you can access if you are a patreon subscriber on some of the stuff that i look at which is home road splits back-to-backs how often they play the worst teams and things like that so if you really want to get a full picture you can kind of look at those two things together because it's all important matt's just better at pulling that kind of stuff which i'm not so a lot to look forward to for the next month plus and then of course the playoffs are going to be great so lots of different angles i don't know exactly how I want to roll it with Real GM. Of course, there will also be a Sam Vecini-led NBA draft conversation around the NCAA tournament because that's important and it's it's relevant for NBA purposes. And also, March Madness is, is wonderful. And it's something that I've enjoyed for a long time. I enjoyed it before I was even an NBA person. I enjoyed college basketball. So you can check that out as well. So I'll work on, you know, if there's a big story any given week, we'll definitely do that. So if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com is the way to do that. You can also reach out on Twitter, but it's not nearly as good because on email it all comes up and you can go through it that way. If you ha- if you want to support the show, there are a lot of different ways you can do that. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing. It's great if it's Apple and it's iTunes because they are still so big in our industry. But if it's something else... I'll take it. I, I prefer it in, in, in iTunes, but wherever it is, I'm, I'm thrilled that you can do it. You can also spread the word. I think that's an, a very important thing just to say, hey, this either this episode was good or this podcast was good. And spreading the word can be a million different things. It could be telling a friend. It can be saying something on social media, whatever really works. Really do appreciate that. And it has been great. The show has actually been growing a little bit. So thrilled to be a part of the Podcast One Network, which has helped as well and going on other things and everything like that. And so if you want more of this show, the best way to do it is to to support that. Also subscribe, download every episode and check out our advertisers for this episode. That is BetDSI. If you use that MADGM promo code, you can get a member bonus of 200% and more bracket entries, which is awesome. And as we're getting close to the NCAA tournament, of course, conference tournaments as well, you can appreciate that and, and have, have some fun in a different way there. And TrueCar. TrueCar, new and used cars, great place to go for all that simplified buying experience. And all of those things tell those advertisers, hey, you should keep advertising with them and tells other ones, hey, look, look, this is working. So that's always great for us. And I've said this before, I'll say it not that many more times, but if interest is strong enough, I am totally open to making this a two time a week thing. It my, my time is busy, but I am open to doing it if the opportunity is there, but it has to be there. You know, we have to get advertisers and all that kind of stuff in, in line because as Warriors Watch listeners know, regrettably, if there isn't enough of an input, because I have so many different things on my plate right now, there needs to be a reason for me to do something. And I love Real Jam Radio. I will keep doing it as long as I can. But doing it a little bit more would be great because I love talking to people like Matt. So if I have a chance to do that and people listen to it and people enjoy it, I will keep doing it. So thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.
Microsoft's Surface Pro 8 has the power of a laptop and the versatility of a tablet, all in one. It has a touchscreen and a newly designed signature keyboard that could even store your Surface Pen. Show the world how you stand out with Surface Pro 8. Check it out at surface.com slash surfacepro8. This is John Henney from Henney Jewelers. My family has helped thousands of Pittsburghers celebrate life's special moments since 1887. We are so excited to have our doors open once again. You can be sure we've gone above and beyond to keep our team and our customers as safe as possible. From in-store and virtual appointments to curbside pickup and drop-off, the Henny team will adapt to your comfort level. Plus, you can shop 24-7 at HennyJewelers.com. We can't wait to celebrate more Henny moments with you. Henny Jewelers, your jewelers for life.